like it is every single week. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Jason, can I tell you a little something? Tell me something. The future is here. The future's here. I know the, the hand motions and the face really make great for podcasts. It makes for good audio. <laughs> the future is now, and when I'm talking about the future, when I'm talking about now, I am talking about automation. Automation. All hail our robot shade overlords. All hail. Hey, automated shades, they provide a safer environment for your children, for your pets, because of the cordless nature. Look, we all know those cords... They can be a little dangerous. You probably shouldn't have them around your kids. Right. That's the whole safety thing. They tell you to tie them up and get them up, up all high. In addition to safety, it can be energy efficient because having those shades programmed to be up and down at the right times allows you to maximize the energy efficiency in your home to use your air conditioner or your furnace a little less. And we all know if it helps the pocketbook, it helps the world. That's the way to make environmentalism catch on for everybody is to make it profitable. And one final thing, it'll make you cool. Make it a little bit easier every day. Make your life a little bit safer. Make it a little bit more secure. Go to Budget Blinds. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. Jason, are you ready to get some hardware? I I, I am impressed. It, it, through this, we have not necessarily paid, set ourselves up as a brand of unfettered optimism uh, through the course of this <laughs> podcast. And yet here you are, coming forth for the forthcoming Chili Fest on October 5th, and you are certain that you and I, the Lee Summit Town Hall chili-making team, is going to win some hardware. Look, when it comes to food, I'm a legend in my own brain. It's clear. And and see, some of us are coming at it with letter goals. It's like, I, I, I just don't want to finish last. Hey, look, I figure this. Even if we're voted the worst... That's that, that's still a win. That's two. That's two. Just just playing along. <laughs> Actually, honestly, just getting to eat the chili, and the wings, and the salsa. It's a win for everyone. Hey, Chili Fest, like you said, October fifth, downtown Lee Summit at Bridge Space. Proceeds will benefit Coldwater of Lee Summit. There are several categories. Well, actually, four. There's the competition style chili, the home style chili, salsa. And wings. In case you didn't get enough wings at Wings for Water last week. We're going to have more. There's more wings at Chili Fest. And look, if you think that you've got what it takes to beat me and Jason, to beat the Link to Lee Summit, Lee Summit Town Hall team, there's still room. You can enter. Just go to bridgespace.us slash Chili Fest for more information. And Jason, you know what? If you just want to eat some of the food and, and judge. You get to buy a spoon. You get to buy a spoon for $10. And come in and eat all the foods and judge them. Hello again and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I'm Jason Norbury and as always I am joined by a man who kind of knows who Ryan McBroom is. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee Summit. Just kind of? Well, I don't know. I mean, you were one calling him McLovin the other night at the game. So, well, like, you know, it, was, it was funnier. My it, name was funnier. It was funnier. I just like you know. I remember when he got called up, and I'm like, "What is a Brian McBroom? Is right. that like a new McDonald's sandwich? Well, what are we talking about? Look, here? you're at the end of a long baseball season in a team that's struggling to not lose a hundred. Yeah, 
you're going to see some names you don't recognize. That is true, and this is one of them. So uh, we did watch Ryan McBroom get his first uh, Major League RBI uh, last week when we at you and I. It was a, a little bit of a town hall outing to the baseball game. Thanks to our good friends at Lee Summit Social Services and uh, the Martin Luther Lutheran Church. There we go. So both former guests, former guests of ours. So we've uh, anyway we uh, we had that game and and we we tried to figure out who Ryan McBroom was. We didn't even have a guess at like sixty percent of the people on the other team. Right. No clue. All we know is that Hans Koshman is a Tigers fan, and we definitely stuck into his face when the Royals won that game. Right, and we might forgive him. Maybe. Well, we do because the Royals won beyond that. All right. Uh, Link to Lee Summit is the source for all the news you need about this very fine city. And our unofficial sponsor this week is Anti-Itch Medication. (laughs) Chigger Bites, like all the things I tried to leave behind in the 80s, have come back. And the last two weekends, I have had two different rounds of them from going camping. Which I probably should take the lesson and never go outside again ever. But I, that's that, not how that, this works. That that that, that seems not. <laughs> that seems real. impractical as right. a whole. I'm gonna say this though. I don't know why you gotta. Uh, I don't know why you gotta. You gotta relate it to the '80s because like, look, we're getting ready for a big party next week. And I heard the '80s. It's back. There we are. The '80s are back, and we are celebrating. The, we're gonna be celebrating the '80s a lot if you're around downtown Lee Summit over the next several months. So that's all very exciting. But yeah, just I can't remember the last time I'd actually had a, a round of actual chigger bites. It's always been like mosquitoes and other things. But man, they are the worst. Jason, be that. camping. I'd be camping and be suffering as a result of it. Well, Jason, look at the calendar. Today is... Wednesday. September 11th. Oh, that too. So I, I just thought I just thought it would be interesting. Um, uh, on Link to Lee Summit, our guest columnist John Bedoin had had a column this this past weekend about his trip to New York City, and he was able to visit the 9/11 memorial there, and, and he talked a little bit about about his remembrances. Um, he talked a little bit about there were there were two Lee Summit residents who who lost their lives in those attacks in New York City. One in the tower, one one nearby. Um, it just I think like all of us on this day, we, we just kind of sit and think back. So I thought it might be interesting, Jason. Just just where were you that day? What what do you remember? What what still sticks in your mind when when you wake up and, and you see the you see the headlines on the on this day, you see the, the you know, the news segments. What what do you remember? Well, I remember a couple of things. One is I was I was still pretty much a baby lawyer, um, and I was at work and my boss was out of the country. Um, as it turns out that day. And so we had, I had a couple of things. And so he was literally in the air flying from Madrid back to the United States when the attacks happened. Um, and his plane got turned around and sent back to Spain. Um, and I was at work ostensibly in charge of the staff and the other things and, <laughs> and had to deal with, you know, doing, doing all of those sorts of things and making decisions about what to do in that instance, including I had court appoint court appearances scheduled the next day. And we had no idea, you know, as soon as all that happened, everything. Did you have TVs in your down. office? We did have, um, we did have a television in the office. It was, uh, smaller than my computer screen, uh, size wise. And it was in the, you know, like we had, it, it had to be up near the wall of the office building to get antenna coverage, but we did, we watched a little bit of it. And, you know, it was still very early days internet-wise. Right. So you weren't getting all – there wasn't, like, live feeds of all the stations going all the time or anything like that. So you did have to get that news, and it kept, you know, 
like the first tower, the second tower, all the things that were happening were it was it DSL was, was fairly new then. Right. It was extremely stressful and frightening. Um we were on the what, eighth floor of an office building at the time. So we're like, you know, is that gonna happen to us? What's going on? You know, I mean the odds are that a you know a short office tower in the middle near the plaza in Kansas City, Missouri, is not going to be the target of a terrorist attack. But that day, you just never know, right? I mean, so it was one of those things that went out there. What what you, you were still in the news business? I was still in the news business, and and I think you know that you just never know that line you just said. I think is the one that that really kind of sticks to me with all of it. Um, I was at the Lisa Journal. I was an editor there. Uh, it was a production day, so I had come in early as I that was my routine, right? Um, to start putting the paper together for that for for that next day, and we did not have TVs in the newsroom, actually. And one of our reporters came in as I was sitting there, and I was the first one in the office. He came in, I don't know, probably an hour or so after me. Hey, did you hear? A plane just hit one of the tower office towers in New York City. We didn't even know which one at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't really register to me. I mean, you know, obviously I thought, oh, horrible deal. But my brain, we didn't click to terrorism to, to, to as big as it was until we, you know, flipped on the radio. And then I, you know, through the AP feed, we started seeing, seeing things come through. I will say this, that that was probably as a, a, I don't know, I always feel like this sounds bad. I feel a little guilty for saying this, but probably one of my proudest days in the profession. Um, my job that day was to sit at the desk and kind of push our reporters and our photographer out to go to, to go get stories, to find out what's going on, to see how people are reacting to it, and then then pull them all in. I also sat and collected stories and photos from the, from the AP wire so that we could know what was going on. But like I said, we didn't have TV. So the only images I was seeing were photos that came through the AP wire. And... And I collected all of those stories and then started putting the paper together. I had to build a timeline for the front page of what happened with the attacks. And I was just in a news mode. I was just in a re- collecting information and packaging it together to tell the so story. So how long did it take you to get past that into the uh, sort of the, the collective grief that it we, was, that it we was all the next, shared? It was the next morning. I, I got home in the wee hours of the morning putting that paper to bed Mm -hmm. Um, because in addition to the telling the story, I mean, there are other things you have to put in the paper. Right. Every time. So the ads, the sports. Right. Yeah. And, and my job was to, I built all the pages, um, got it together and sent it to press. So I got home in the wee hours of the morning, which was, which was normal, but obviously that day we were all just, so it was the next morning, probably seven or eight in the morning. I sat in, uh, my wife and I had only been married a few years, and I sat in the living room of our duplex that we had at the time, and I was watching the, the national news. And they made the call for body bags. And that's when it hit me that it wasn't a story anymore. And, I, and, I, and again, this is when I, when I tell it like that, it makes me feel a little guilty, but that's, that's what we're trained to do, right? Right. You, you gather the information, you package it, and you put it out so people know. And so that's when... It was a real thing to me. That's when it hit and I was no longer in that move. And I just sat there and and I cried. I sat on my couch. I stared at the TV and I cried. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up sending everybody home at lunch because nobody was doing any work um, and including myself. And I remember I went home and I, I sat for 
probably something on the order of 15 hours, you know, got dinner, did whatever. It was pre-kids. <laughs> right. And, you know, and it was late, late, late that night. And my wife finally came in and was like, you just have to turn off the television and go to bed. You can't watch, you know, you just, it's not going to change anything but you staring at the television. Get some sleep. Well, you know, and I think like everybody, we spent the next several days absorbing, absorbing all the information we could. Right. Um, it, I will, I will say it is the, that, that day and probably the month following, um, are the only times in my career in community journalism, you know, small town papers that I, I used AP wire material to put in the paper. Um, I, I, there's a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine who works for the daily Herald newspapers, which are the suburbs around Mm -hmm. Chicago. Um, his, he got sent that day. He covers the Naperville area. He got sent back into downtown Chicago that day to cover what was going on. And I remember him telling me he hit the Miracle Mile and it was empty. He said, I felt like it was one of those westerns where the tumbleweeds are going to blow across the street. He said, he's like, I was in the middle of downtown Chicago and I was the only one standing on the street. Yeah. Um, we did, you know, we had a lot of, lot of good stories. And those, those, the, the, the names that John mentioned in his column, um, I, 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 th- I think Matt Birdmeyer, who was a reporter at the time for the journal, he wrote the story about Randall Drake. I think um, the late Russ Krebs um, wrote another couple stories that they were, it, it, it always shook me. And I think, you know, everybody finds these, but how many direct connections our community had here in the middle of the country to what was happening out there. Right. Uh, on on the coast and we did a nice um special section uh um on october 11th the month month after just kind of 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 not just telling those stories of of the direct connection from here to there but also just where we were as a people because i think a month later we were all still really nobody knew and it's gonna go back to what you said nobody knew what was going on just you just don't know we were all kind of in this fog and that's that's i think what i remember is there was just this time period where as a collective people, we were just in a fog. We were just moving. Well, hopefully we've gotten a little bit better than that these days but uh, and, and moved past that. It's been, you know, that, that makes it, what, 18 years now. So, um, and, and we still remember, and, and we, uh, we, you know, we wanted to take a minute here on the podcast to, to bring back and, and just you know, kind of talk a little bit about that as a, you know, and, and I think that shows us some of the processes, you know, the different walks of life, the journalism, the legal stuff. I mean, the, 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 the courts were canceled for a day or two right? while they figured out whether or not they were going to open the streets around the courthouse and, and, and all those sorts of things. It was, it was pretty, pretty wild. Well, and I think, I think it's good. I think it's good to remember. I think it's good to tell, tell the stories and to, and, and to, to notice how, our lives changed a little bit because I think that was a very, that was, that was a, a big moment in the evolution of, of us yes, as, as a society. Very so, hey, a bubble bursting day. So if you're on social media today, put your memories out there. Let everybody know. Let's tell, let's tell those stories. Jason, another thing I wanted to talk about, this is uh, National Suicide Prevention Month. So I want to take just a little bit, a little bit of time here to discuss one of our community sponsors, and that is First Step for Help. FirstStepforHelp.com is a free service to meet the behavioral health needs of the community. They focus on the state of Missouri, but their reach is extended across state lines to include the entire Kansas City metro area. The service's highly trained master's level clinicians accept and handle calls from anyone who needs help. 
They are multilingual, and the calls are always confidential. FirstStepForHelp.com is the 24-hour mental health crisis helpline by ComCare, a not-for-profit behavioral health management organization working in collaboration with community behavioral health centers and other providers to continually improve access to affordable, high-quality, and effective behavioral health services. ComCare's vision is a community where people are efficiently and effectively connected with high-quality behavioral health services, supporting wellness and productivity for all. Visit FirstStepForHelp.com for community resources and how to access an agency near you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert a little editorializing here, Jason. You know, a, a couple years ago, our community was wrecked by some, by some suicides. Mm-hmm. And you and I had a quick, well, we planned it quickly. We turned around and had a, had a conversation with some, some healthcare providers and behavioral health specialists um, on our show. And since then, we've had several, uh, I mean, the community has had other conversations about it. There's been a community task force formed. We just had some teens come in and they wanted to talk about youth mental health. So I'm just going to say this. If there's one thing we've learned, Jason, you got to talk about it. Depression is real. Mental health is real. And we all have to talk about it more and remove the stigmas. Yep. You've got, you have to ask for help. It is a, it, it is an illness like any other in many ways. Um, it doesn't manifest in the, you know, swollen glands or running a fever or my arms broken, but it is just as impactful and the results of it can be uh, catastrophic, just as catastrophic as other, other forms of illness and injury. And you, the thing you got to understand is you can't necessarily do it by yourself. If you break your arm, you go see a doctor, you know, to put it in the bluntest terms possibly. If your brain's broke, go see a doctor. Talk to someone who can help you work through that and put the pieces together. But reaching out for that help is a really, really important, well, a first step. Right. And that is why we will continue to talk about it here. Jason, the last subject I want to get to is about the Lee Summit R7 School District. Uh, It is time, I think for an update on the CFMP. By the way, I just did that right. You did. That was very good. And besides, in addition to being a time for that update, there's actually some stuff to actually update on. Well, there there is. So the Comprehensive Facilities Master Planning Team has now passed their recommendations on. So phase two was recommendations. They passed their recommendations to the school board. So the board, board of education, it's now in their hands. They're going to review everything. If they approve of all of these, April 2020 will see likely see a bond issue before the voters. I want to go through a few of the things now. All of these recommendations are they're about upgrades to the schools, adding a fourth middle school. And the, the big thing, I think the thing that everyone's talking about is included a recommendation to move sixth grade out of the elementary schools and into middle school. Now, at least some of it is it's the of, end of the world as we know it. Lee Summit's one of the last school districts in the area to still have K through six, so it's kind of in line with with current trends around education. Doom. But they did some studies, so there are some numbers to go with it. They did, you know, they asked for input both from educators and from from parents. So we're going to go through some of that just to, I think, give people an idea of where the CFMP team 
is coming from and why they did these recommendations. All of this is going to lead to there's going to be a community conversation and presentation on September the 17th from 6 to 8 at the Missouri Innovation Campus. So that'll be a that'll be a good place to get all of the details or as many of the details as they can fit into those two hours. Um, and, and kind of why I don't know I don't know the format, so I don't know what kind of give and take they're going to take from people in a, in attendance if if at all. But no matter what. That's a good thing, I think, for people to go to so they can get information. Panic. Run on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> watching, watching social media, that's that's kind of what you would think. But I don't think I, I don't think it's really cause for that. Let's go over. No. So right now, Jason, elementaries in our district are about 86% capacity. Okay. And, and keep in mind, that number it varies. So there are four or five schools that right now are over 100% capacity. In the district, there are some that are ninety plus, and then there are a few that are are under that. And the and the district has target or at least identified eighty five percent capacity as to being sort of the sweet spot that they want to be. In. Right. There's a difference between capacity and ideal capacity. Right. You can teach a bunch of kids, and obviously they're still educating the kids in the in the schools, uh, like Westview and some of the others that are over a hundred percent capacity. Um, and and there's, know, there's one there's one at ninety six. So so right now, as we sit right now in this district, elementaries are eighty six percent capacity. The three middle schools are at seventy nine percent. Now, just for comparison's sake, the the packet of recommendations included this. If we were to make that move now with no additional middle school, panic run of the streets, doom. <laughs> you know that that kind of attitude, Jason, is really not helping anybody. But I'm that's what I'm here for. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, if they were to make the move now, so it elementary's become K through five, the middle schools are six, seven, eight, it wouldn't make a huge difference with the middle schools. The elementary schools would drop to seventy three percent capacity. The middle schools would be around eighty one percent. So not a, a huge difference. But Jason, I think this is where we start talking about Full capacity versus ideal capacity. Right. And so it's it, you could do that tomorrow and, and get that. now. So, But it would bring um, – it would keep the number of schools. It would eliminate the schools at over 100% capacity, and it would allow us to handle uh, – bring most almost all of the schools under that 85% barrier uh, that they kind of aim at at the elementary level. Um, at the the middle school level, you get, uh, you get in that 85% range for two of them. As it is, but obviously, what they what they said is they would like to see the populations of the schools with uh, less than a thousand of the middle schools with less than a thousand students or so in there, and putting in a fourth middle school would allow that to come down, which would allow for class better class sizes, creative utilization. Well, of and, space. Let, and let's be fair, that's really what we're what we're talking about is that. Student to teacher ratio—that's the one that matters. That's what they're really trying to look at, right? So you can see a few kids in each classroom and those sorts of things, but also it'll allow. And one of the things, one of the other key recommendations, I think, to address in part the the parents' concerns that sixth graders may or may not be ready for that transition into middle school to deal with those older kids, is that there are there is a, a, a essentially going to be a sixth grade area in each of the middle schools where the sixth graders, when they're in that first year as they're making that transition will be isolated. Isn't the right word, but 
have their own space where they can operate without all the craziness that seventh and eighth graders might be bringing to the table. One of the things I thought was interesting, and the, these recommendations can be found at the LSR seven website. You can you can go to the CFMP section and you can you can look through these. One of these the things that I thought was interesting, Jason, was um, as I said earlier, they they asked for input from teachers in the district who have you know have taught middle school and elementary, um, and then they asked they asked for parents too. But the the differing responses um it it reads like you know for the most part teachers are saying hey this is a good thing i mean and the percentages this, were this will help fairly overwhelming in favor in in terms of for teachers for the professionals that they thought that sixth graders were ready for that uh, environment and and often in many cases they think that sixth graders should be in right. that environment that maybe they are too advanced to be in elementary school um, on their own, and I think the parents not su- not surprisingly not surprisingly parents the, the are a par- little bit par- more protective yeah, of their the babies. Yeah, the parent input did not match that, and I think there's a there's a lot to go in into that. I think some of that is change is hard, mm-hmm. right? Right. I think a lot of that is, as you said, parents are naturally more protective of their babies. Right. I I, I also think some of that is look. I ha- I have a son in seventh grade now. My son's not supposed to be in seventh grade, so I think there's a lot of that, you know, where it's like, you just, you, it's hard, to, it's hard to think of your 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 little kids all of a sudden they're right. they're middle school. They get big faster than we notice Ooh. is what tends to happen, and the teachers pay attention and see that. And I think the it's it's hard to until it's kind of the ship is sailed for the for parents to really grasp that as a whole. And I and that is not that is not to say that their concerns are not warranted. No, absolutely. Or, or valid. I don't mean to say that at all. But I but I think I think what this all boils down to me that if the board and the district decide to move forward with this plan, it is incumbent on them to provide education to the community so that they so that not only do 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 we the the people understand. But that we're okay with it. Mm-hmm. We have we have to understand it, and you have to ease our fears, right? And so, you, just to give you an idea, the, so that that's the big one, right? The moving the sixth graders up, building a new middle school will be the cer- certainly the largest single expense uh, that the the process have. So, one of the side effects of this readjustment is that they think they'll be able to create space in one of the elementary schools for an additional location for early childhood education, um, which will uh, enable the district to expand those offerings. Which is to more, another, to another more pretty big priority for, for the district to expand those services. And and so that Prairie View, there'll be, there'll be a whole section that they can turn into another early childhood education center. Right. And then, you know, as you look through the the phasing of the projects, you can see that they've got renovations online for almost every elementary school in the district. Two of the three high schools um, will we'll get some renovations to bring them up to what they call future-ready standards, which I'm sure means something uh, a, as a whole. So, uh, and then they do a little bit of stuff on the back end to show that there's some bonding capacity, uh, that you know they're not just flinging money around willy nilly. That's going to have some sort of a harmful impact on the district, uh, and go through that process that way. So I think there's a lot of pieces to be said there. Um, the biggest thing is there's an opportunity now uh, in a, in next week on the 17th to have a little bit of input to get some more information, and then 
at the various school board meetings through the next several months. Um, they'll have to do that. In order to be on the April ballot, they're going to have to certify a question probably in late January or early February if my memory of those timings serves well. Right, right. And there is no official timeline on on this at all as to when the board will decide or uh, on that. So you and I are just kind of our own little conjecture right. and, and election process math figuring this out. But I think – I think likely you will see a decision made somewhere around the turn turn of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and again, I think I think the big thing is that that it's it is no matter what the decision is, it is it's now incumbent on the board and and the the administrative staff to to inform inform the voters, inform the people of, of, and the, the the parents in the district. Here's what we're thinking. Here's why we're thinking this, and let us ease your fears either way. Right, absolutely, and, and it, so this is when when you know I'm not I, respectfully. I think people need to make sure that they're asking questions of their of their board members, asking questions of their administrators when they talk to them, so that they can get those answers. Absolutely, and then this and your first opportunity is less than a week away, so you want to get after that and and get on get on board and start asking those questions now, because those little questions you ask now can have an impact of you know a sizable impact on what the future of the district is going to look like. So take advantage of it. Lastly, Jason, I want to give a little tease for Friday's episode of the Town Hall Podcast. Our Friday conversation is going to be with local entrepreneur and community cheerleader, Ben Rao. We're going to be talking about Chili Fest. He's been leading this effort to bring the Chili Fest back to downtown. And we're going to do a little happy birthday celebration. It's Bridge Space's first birthday. so Happy birthday to our studio. <laughs> the home of, of our studio. We're going to do a little celebrating with Ben. I want I just want to let people know kind of what's going on here at Bridge Space with this project that he brought into our community. It's, it really has been a, a, a cool place, and I'm not going to be alone to say it. I think there's a, there are other people that have moved their businesses here that it, it's, it's done good things for them. It has. And done good it's, things for It's done community. a good thing. It has provided, I think – uh, well, something that a lot of people identified as a need, but given the, I think, success uh, and capacity that this has been operating at since it's opened, um, it, it clearly it may have been a, a larger need or desire than even people had thought in the first place. Yeah, we cannot deny the role that it's now playing in, in the business community. So we're going we're gonna to talk to Ben about Chili Fest, and we're going to talk to Ben about that. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a really good conversation. So tune in on Friday. Can, can you get any, uh, any, anything in there to get like Ben to slip a little extra votes for us in the judging for that while you're at it? I'm not beneath that. Okay, I'm just saying we should, you know, take advantage of what we can. Yeah, I got it. All right, so all right, that will wrap it up for this week, Jason. I think I think those were just the few things that that we wanted to to cover. We will be back on Friday with our conversation with Ben Rao, and then you'll be back here next Wednesday. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to you by Shred KC. Jason, I just want to take a moment to remind people of, of a partner podcast in our Fredcast network, the Shred Podcast. They like to talk about all kinds of things, a healthy lifestyle, motivation, fitness tips, form when you're doing your working out, holding yourself accountable. If you want to hear a couple of dummies talk about stuff that they're really unqualified for, I suggest you stick with the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. But if you want to talk about people who actually know what they're talking about and a really important subject to your life, I think the Shred KC podcast is for you. It is. They they are they are experts. They know what they're doing. And and you know in, in their last episode they talked about you know we know this. If you follow the plan, it'll work. Because a lot of their topics are about people like me who are just 
trying to lose weight and, and, mm-hmm. and get get fit again, but they know what they're talking about, and it's it's real talk. It's we're not talking fad diets and stuff. They this is real plans and tips to help you get to those goals. Absolutely. All right. So take an opportunity, uh, go on your favorite podcast feed or app, and look for the Shred Casey podcast. You have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall, a link to Lee Summit podcast with hosts Nick Parker and Jason Norberry. A proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps and catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook at Link to Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall.